Good evening and welcome to Nightline Africa. We are coming to you from the English service of the Voice of America. Thanks for joining us. I'm Peter Clote in Washington, D.C. The arrival of His Holiness the Pope uh, Francis, Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, and the moderator of uh, the Presbyterian Church of Scotland. The first school are so happy, and as you can see, the streets are all full of the people. Pope Francis arrives in South Sudan after concluding a visit to the Democratic Republic of Congo Friday. We all have to support each other in the sub-region, giving some of the decline that we have seen in democratic practice and values in the sub-region last year. The West Africa Democracy Solidarity Network concludes its three-day solidarity mission to Nigeria ahead of the coming February general election. It's always exciting because the thing is that your peers within uh, the music fraternity uh, around the world uh, have acknowledged uh, your works, you know. And popular Ghanaian reggae musician Rocky Dawuni expresses excitement following his third Grammy Award nomination. Those stories and more coming up on Nightline Africa. In South Sudan, the Archbishop of Wild Diocese of the Catholic Church says citizens are hopeful that the top three global clerics will use their influence to encourage the country's leaders to fully implement the peace agreement. Bishop Moses Dengbol says there's hope that the clerics will call on the country's leaders to ensure peace and to save life and property. Pope Francis arrived in South Sudan on Friday on a visit described as a pilgrimage of peace after his trip to the Democratic Republic of Congo. He is joined by the Archbishop of Canterbury, the head of the Global Anglican Communion, Justin Welby, and the leader of the Church of Scotland, Ian Greenshield. Humanitarian organizations have often expressed concern about what they say are unending conflict, which have led to increasing deaths, injuries, and thousands displaced from their homes. For reaction and expectations of the papal visit, I read Bishop Moses Dengbol, the Archbishop of Wild Diocese of the Catholic Church. The South Sudanese faithful are so, so overwhelmed with joy of the uh, arrival of His Holiness the Pope uh, Francis, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, and the moderator of uh, the Presbyterian Church of Scotland. The faithful are so happy, and as you can see, the streets are all full of the people, the faithful who have come to welcome Bishop, what is the general expectations among South Sudanese? The general expectation is that the coming of the three uh, well uh, religious leaders will reunite the people of South Sudan to the same level to which the South Sudanese were united during the referendum uh, when we voted for our independence. We were all united from all the ethnic uh, communities, from all the regions, and we felt the sense of uh, being one people, one nation. And that has been torn apart by the war, and the hope is that with the coming of the top religious leaders, that will uh, ignite 
the unity, the peace, the reconciliation uh, among the people of South Sudan. What do you think would be different, especially when the Pope invited these leaders uh, to Rome? He washed their feet, advised them to bury the hatchet, to make peace. Nothing seemed to have uh, worked. What is going to be different this time? The hope is that uh, His Holiness, the Pope, and uh, His Grace, the Archbishop of Canterbury, and the moderator will use their influence because the majority of the South Sudanese actually go to the three uh, churches. They will use that influence to appeal to the leaders of South Sudan at this time to implement the peace agreement in spirit and in letter. And in particular, the provisions that are going towards the elections. And really, they will use the, this, this uh, opportunity to appeal to the government to implement the peace agreement and then carry out at the end of the implementation of the roadmap uh, the free, fair, credible, and peaceful elections. Bishop, do you think the expectations of South Sudanese about their leaders called upon to make peace yet have not made peace will be different this time? Well, we are hoping that they will uh, listen after the Pope kissed their feet, and now the three leaders have come to South Sudan. That is the hope. There is also another dimension that when the South Sudanese are united, they will actually be able to work for peace, because one of the things that is affecting the people of South Sudan is the division along tribal lines. But if we get the opportunity to be united, as I said earlier, uh, the, the, the South Sudanese are hoping to reignite the unity that was seen during the referendum in 2011, they actually will be the grantors of peace, because the best grantor of peace is the people of South Sudan. If they are united and they keep reminding their leaders that it is your responsibility to implement the peace agreement, Bishop Moses Dengbol is the Archbishop of Wild Diocese of the Catholic Church. He spoke with me from the South Sudanese capital, Juba. In the Democratic Republic of Congo DRC, Catholic faithful are expressing hope that Pope Francis' just-concluded visit to the country could significantly boost efforts to end the country's unending conflict. The papal visit, which ended Friday, was his first stop on his African trip. He has since arrived in the South Sudanese capital, Juba. Conflicts in the DRC officials say have left hundreds of thousands dead, injured and many more displaced from their homes. Humanitarian organizations including Chorus International say the ongoing violence often blamed on armed groups including the M23 rebels has made it difficult for them to provide much needed help for the victims of the conflict. For more reaction, I reach Nadia Levick. She is Senior Regional Director for East, Central and Southern Africa at Chorus International. I was able to travel to both sides of the country, Kinshasa on the west side, and the eastern side of the country, which is the place where, unfortunately, the March 23 movement, currently known as M23, is continuously putting pressure on population, increasing the number of internally displaced people, we have more than 690,000 IDPs in sites near the main city, Goma, 
where we do as Chorus International have offices and staff uh, working in Uragongo, Ruchuru, Masisi, and Lubero. All of our sites uh, are unfortunately facing an increasing amount of people. On as we speak, it's it's just continuous. So the the situation is really uh, is really terrible. IDP camps all across around Goma, very very close to to the main city, and um, not a huge amount of assistance is actually present, unfortunately. Do you? think that the Pope's visit to DRC will have any impact on lessening uh, some of the circumstances that led to this surge of IDPs? I really want to hope so. I believe that the Pope can have a message that will be towards more involvement of the government. I am hopeful that this presence is going to make a difference and that the talks and conversations that are going to happen will raise awareness on the actual situation. It is a humanitarian crisis that has not, unfortunately, raised a lot of, uh, of attention. So how challenging is the current environment? So it is very tricky. We have to monitor as an international organization every day any movement of militias. As you may know, it's not only the MT-23, it's 70 armed groups completely surrounding the, the, the city of Goma and paralyzing, uh, in some instances, our activities. We have to monitor very closely, We and we are not the only one. Many of our organizations, like us, are doing the same. We have to, to make sure that our staff, when they are, you know, doing activities, are going there on safely. And we have to, to, to monitor this. It's, it's a very, very fragile context and it can snap at any moment. That's, that's the, 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 the complexity of this place. It's that in one moment, everything is calm and you think that you're going to be able to operate and do activities and the next second something happens and the tension rises in a split second. What do you think is the best way forward in order to uh, prevent some of the circumstances that lead to these surge in internally displaced people? Because obviously the M23 and other armed groups uh, keep putting pressure on the population as analysts keep saying. I would say from my window, of course, what I am here to do is to work with IDPs and make sure that they have access to water, access to sanitation, basic primary health care. There is a terrible cholera outbreak, many deaths, many cases, and this is all due to, to very, very terrible conditions. There are not enough latrines, not enough showers. People don't have access. So organizations like Chorus International are trying to work and doing their best to intervene, but there is not enough recognition on, uh, on, on the larger scale of this crisis, and funding is just not there. We need more funding. It's the only way we will be able to respond because the first stages is to bring the necessary basics 
But the second stages are to help those populations find some dignity, find some basic activities that they can do. Nadia Levick is Senior Regional Director for East, Central and Southern Africa at Coros International. She spoke with me from here in the U.S. The West Africa Democracy Solidarity Network, or WADEMOS, has concluded its three-day solidarity mission to Nigeria ahead of the coming February general election. Members of the delegation had a series of meetings with top officials of Nigeria's Independent Electoral Commission, INEC, and stakeholders, including civil society groups, the National Peace Commission, Human Rights Commission, and the media. The talks come as Nigerians go to the polls later this month to choose a new president. Wademos is an independent civil society-led network that promotes international solidarity for democracy. For more on the meetings and major takeaways, I reach Dr. Kojo Pumpuni Asante. He is the leader of the Wademos Solidarity Mission to Nigeria. We all have to support each other in the sub-region, giving some of the decline that we have seen in democratic practices and values in the sub-region last year. And as Wademos, uh, we, we launched it last year to bring civil society together to provide that solidarity and mobilize to counter this decline. And one of the priorities was to make sure that we support our countries that are facing elections. And that's why we were in Nigeria, to offer solidarity to the citizens of Nigeria, to all the election stakeholders, to make sure that they have credible elections and peaceful elections. Following the meeting with the top officials of INEC and the stakeholders, what were some of the major takeaways from the meeting about the INEC's preparedness to administer free, fair, transparent and credible elections come February 25th? First of all, I think it has to be acknowledged that we were really excited by the enthusiasm from citizens, from stakeholders, really determined this dogged determination to make sure that Nigeria would, you know, have a successful seventh consecutive election, you know, uh, will go past 24 years of unbroken, you know, democratic practice. So that I think that is really reassuring. We saw something similar like that in Kenya, uh, and 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 that was heartwarming. But we did raise some concerns. Uh, there were some concerns with the collection of the of the uh, PVCs, which is the you know verification cards that uh, are required for accreditation before one can vote. There are still problems with distribution with those cards, which might disenfranchise people. And I think just before we left, the INEC uh, did extend the deadline for the collection of the the cars by another week. And we hope that, you know, measures are put in place to ensure that voters, prospective voters, can go and collect their cards. There were also issues, I think, with fuel shortages, uh, which I think, uh, if not addressed, would 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 really undermine the election uh, in the run-up, you know, and then on election day, because you need fuel for movement not just for INEC staff, but even the security personnel. With this solidarity visit, will there be a follow-up? No, we will definitely be there uh, just before the week of the election. 
to you know be there to support uh, some of our uh, partners in Nigeria like Yaga Africa, CDD West Africa, uh, Transitional Money Monitoring Group, the the Women in Politics. They are already doing quite a lot on the ground, engaging young people, preparing, educating them. Uh, we are trying to use all our platforms to share more information about the election. Remember, they are deploying you know a number of technologies that you know sometimes uh, anything you know it can be difficult on the day. People just need to understand what exactly is going to happen with the electoral process with these technologies like the the viewing portal or the 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 the, the, the BVAS, as they say, the biomodial verification you know process. All of those things we will be supporting. But we really what we want to do is Africanize this election. Nigeria is the most populous, you know, uh, country and um, it has to succeed. If it doesn't succeed, it affects all of us in, in the sub-region. What assurances did the INEC officials, particularly since that is the only constitutionally mm. mandated organization to administer the elections in Nigeria, what assurances did they give you about some of the feedback you gave them and how they, they, they plan to ensure that not only will they put those recommendations into practice, but they will organize successful elections? There is this, you know, uh, commitment and and steps that are being taken to try to address the problem uh, as they go along, and they are constantly, you know, communication with their residential commissioners in the states to understand what's happening on the ground, so that they can take up, you know, policy. So I, I think for me that that has given me a lot more confidence in the ability. It's not going to be easy, you know, the security uh, situation uh, in some parts of, you know, the country is very difficult one, but the, the INEC can only work with the security agencies to create an enabling environment, you know, for people to go out on election day and go and vote. Dr. Kojo Pumpuni Asante is the leader of the Wademo Solidarity Mission to Nigeria. He spoke with me from the Ghanaian capital, Accra. Popular Ghanaian reggae musician Rocky Dawuni is expressing excitement following his third Grammy Award nomination. He was nominated for the Best Global Music Performance at the 65th Grammy Award. His first nomination was in 2015. His nomination was secured by buzz surrounding Dawuni's song Never Bow Down, a collaboration with a Jamaican artist. The 65th Grammy Awards nomination is scheduled for Sunday at the Crypto.com Arena in Los Angeles, California. Here is part one of my conversation with Grammy Award nominee Rocky Dawuni. It's always exciting because the thing is that your peers within uh, the music fraternity uh, around the world uh, have acknowledged uh, your works, you know. So, you know, as an artist, you know, you do a body of work and a lot of times, you know, you try to make sure that every time you stay relevant and also your work has impact. So for me, when the first nomination was incredibly exciting, second nomination was exciting. And then this third one, too, is exciting because it's a validation that whatever the processes that I've been working on and the energy that I've been putting on, uh, people are taking notice. So... I am just elated. And then the opportunity to also bring Ghana music 
for the third time opportunity to the Grammys for me to, I feel that uh, it's a date with uh, history and um, it's also uh, something to let our industry know that, you know, the opportunity for our sound to be recognized within this fraternity too, the time has come. So three is a charm and it's a great thing. <laughs> so tell me, Rocky, what impact does this nomination have on your music? And as a matter of fact, your exposure to your fans around the world? As a musician, you expose your craft in a few ways. You know, first of all, you know, from your live concerts, uh, from the release of albums uh, and all the press that it generates, the excitement that it generates. Thirdly, too, when there is uh, a recognition, too, that is uh, on a platform that is globally accepted, uh, what it does is that, you know, all the press that surround this, you know, this is press from every part of the world. So the light that is uh, that it shines on your career as an artist. It's not only local to where you are or regional to where you are. It's global, you know. So that global light uh, uh, gives you an opportunity to refresh, take your career to the next level. Uh, it gives you another opportunity to have conversations about maybe certain areas too that you want to maybe direct your career to. So I feel that what it does is that it just increases your profile and it also um, makes people pay attention to you. And I think the light that is shown is also by the press. It goes a long way to also boost your stature too as an artist. I understand uh, one of your songs, Never Back Down, is generating a lot of buzz. Talk to yes, me yes. a little bit about it and what went into it, the motivation behind it. Why Never Back Down? Never Bow Down, yeah. Bow Down, yes, Never yeah. Bow Down. Yeah, so Never Bow Down was a song that was really inspired, uh, you know, during uh, the time of the lockdowns, you know, um, and, you, you know, kind of our modern current situation of, you know, not even knowing the baseline for what is true, you know, because you have the uh, proliferation of, uh, you know, fake news, uh, proliferation of uh, uh, bait clicking headlines, uh, proliferation of, uh, you know, uh, bite-sized um, information that usually is not, has, has no relevance, whatever the context is. And, um, and also, I also feel that the, the elevation of characters too, that as an African, I feel we are being uh, bludgeoned by other influences from outside that formerly we did not have. So there's a really an attack on our culture. There's a really attack on who we are as a people. There's really attack on our traditions, you know, and I feel that these are all uh, concepts of, of uh, uh, molding a false identity or erecting uh, false deities. And we are being forced or one way or converted digitally one way or the other to accept this narrative that in the long run it's not something that's relevant to us so never bow down is uh, was a song of uh, defiance and protest and a song too of finding who you are your core identity to know that the world right now there's so many things coming at you and you need to 
strengthen yourself so that you don't become uh, a victim of uh, some of this uh, herd-based uh, ideas that you know sometimes are not ideas that are necessarily in your own interest. And Rocky Dawuni is a popular Ghanaian reggae musician and a Grammy nominee. He spoke with me via Skype. Join us tomorrow on Nightline Africa for the concluding part of the interview. Nightline Africa comes to you on Saturdays and Sundays at 16 and 18 hours UTC from the English service of The Voice of America. And from the rest of the Nightline team, including producer Douglas Impuga, and we say thanks for joining us. And that wraps up Nightline Africa. Coming up next is a special edition of South Sudan in Focus regarding Pope Francis' visit to the East African country. Stay tuned. I'm your host, Peter Clotter in Washington. Good evening, Africa.